Good morning. So thankful to be back here again this morning. I thought someone left me money up here. So thankful to be back here this morning. Thankful to be with you. I hope that uh, you've had a great week. I trust that you have been uh, doing your best to honor the Lord in your everyday life, to extend the Sunday morning, the feeling and the and the motivation that you get on Sunday morning to extend that throughout the week into action, uh, into living. I hope that um, today and every Sunday is just another representation of the way your life is being lived on a daily basis. I trust that it is for the most part, and uh, I'm so thankful for you. Uh, you make it relatively easy to be your pastor. You make it relatively easy to be your friend. Easier than I probably make it on you to be mine. So we're going to be in First Peter today. We're going to continue our sermon series in First Peter, Born Again to a Living Hope. Today we're going to discuss the Christian responsibility to display grace to unjust authority. The Christian responsibility to display grace to unjust authority. We're going to be in 1 Peter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20 today as we look at the Christian responsibility to display grace to unjust authority. Last week, we began our look into a more practical application of 1 Peter. We specifically discussed the Christian's duty to civil authority. We learned that we are called to obey the government that has been placed over us in the verses last week, we saw the king and the governor. We can sort of take that to be viewed as the president or Congress or our governor or mayor or even other civil city leaders. We're called to be obedient to these type of authorities. Now, there is one exception to our obedience, of course, and that is that our obedience to these type of authorities never trumps our obedience to God, which leads you and I to a Accept this idea that the Christian lean, the Christian tendency should be towards obedience of the government and not rebellion of the government for many reasons we know. Um, one is because the government is a place for our good, it's placed by God. The government in a right system punishes evil and, and rewards good. So we need to trust the Lord. And we need to have a Christian lean towards obedience. There will be times for questioning and, and possibly even breaking uh, orders, but our propensities should be to obey the governing authorities. They're here for order. They're here to punish evil. They're here to reward good. And, and ultimately, they're placed by God. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at other types of authority, including today, uh, and last week we introduced some ideas about our respect and our submission to authority that I think are themes that run throughout all of this entire section on the believer's submission to certain types of authority. And I want you to maybe write these down. I want you to remember them. I want you to think on them because I'm going to give you four things right here that are not up there, but they all pertain to each of these different types of submission to authority. These ideas run through this entire section on submission. Um, 
of as to why we, what is our motivation for submitting to authority? Uh, and the first is this, we need to remember this because it applies to all of these. All authority is placed by God. We've mentioned that. I'm sort of summarizing a few things and maybe adding a few things, uh, but I want you to have these because these are the things that we need to remember as we are tempted to submit or not submit to authority. All authority is placed by God. All authority is implemented for the working of God's will. All authority is implemented for the working of God's will. Friends, you need to understand this. As hard as this is, and I'll let you down easy, so to speak, uh, Pharaoh, the Bible says in Romans 9, was placed in authority for the will of the Lord so that the Lord might be glorified. So that's how I'll let you down. Adolf Hitler was placed in authority by the Lord for the Lord's will so that his will would be done. Now, we don't always see the ramifications of that. Obviously, what he and others like him did were evil and not good. But the Bible says, and oftentimes, maybe the majority of the times, what was meant for evil, God uses for good. So all authority is placed by God. All authority is implemented for the working of God's will. We are called to obey authority as unto the Lord. We're called to obey authority as unto the Lord. Like I said, a lot of these are reviewed, but I'm summing these up now so that as we look at the rest of these uh, areas of submission, we can see these and say, okay, this applies here, and how does this apply here? And then the last is this. We are not held responsible by God for what is done to us, but what we do in response. All authority is placed by God. All authority is implemented for the working of God's will. We are called to obey authority as unto the Lord. We are not held responsible by God for what is done to us, but what we do in response. We are not held responsible by God for what is done to us, but what we do in response. Imagine if I'd had this on the board and are up there and I wouldn't have to repeat it four times and you could just read it. These are ideas and themes that you need to keep in your heads as you are formulating responses to different types of authority, to governing authority, to um, uh, social authority, you know, the sort of hierarchical structure of the social life, to your bosses, to your friends, to your husband, to your wife, to, your, to the, any type of authority. I mean, I guess I can keep going, but to any type of authority that may be in place. Now, today we will look at the Christian's response to and our display of grace to unjust authority. Read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 with me. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle ones, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while su sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. Lord, your word is sometimes difficult to digest. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to even apply. But Lord, it's not impossible. As a matter of fact, through your spirit, it becomes ever increasingly 
uh, more easy. Not easy, but more easy, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, would you help us to apply your word to our lives today? Would you help it to run true in our lives so that we can be a living testimony of gospel change that comes from Jesus, from the redemption of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and under the authority of the Word of God. We love you. We praise you. We give you today. It's your day. Every day is yours. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. One of the greatest struggles I've had in my life is trying to balance being a pastor and being an entrepreneur. There were times in my life where I was a business owner like I should have been or was a pastor. And I found out quickly that that didn't always work, um, usually because you get taken advantage of. And so obviously when something happens, the op- you do the opposite, like you do the other end. And there were times, uh, so, so I, at times I became mean or, or whatever as I was running my business. And I still am some, I try not to be. But there were also times where I was pastoring like a business owner. And that too did not work. Over the years, I have learned that I'm really just sort of still learning to balance that out. But a few things I have learned over the years is that whether running a business or pastoring, there are a few characteristics of being a Christian and being in, a, in the real world in business that always overlap. And, and really, there are three, again, these aren't up here. I like to keep you on your toes, okay? I had these in my outline when I gave Blake my outline. I don't know why I didn't put them up there, but, you know, there, here we are. Um, and by drawing attention to it, I'm sure I'm not doing anything to help it. So, uh, so there are a few characteristics of the Christian life that always overlap into our work life, into our business life, whatever it may be. And that is, one is the responsibility that I have to love image bearers of God. So no matter what my business life looks like and no matter what my church life looks like, I always in everyday life have a responsibility to love image bearers of God and that should show out in the way I live. Another is the responsibility I have to show grace as much as possible in all circumstances. To show grace as much as possible in all circumstances. Whether things are going my way or not, whether things are difficult or easy, I have a responsibility to show grace. I have a responsibility to respond as if I'm responding unto the Lord. And the third thing that overlaps in business and in church life, definitively, there are many more, but definitively and for sure, is the responsibility I have to preach the gospel in different circumstances of life. The responsibility I have to preach the gospel in different circumstances of life. It's a challenge for me, as I'm sure it is for you, to practice these spiritual gifts or these spiritual skills in all facets of life. But we are called to demonstrate this type of grace, not just in good and easy times, but in all times. Now, while we all fail in our personal lives to show grace, Uh, We are often put into unique circumstances, and we're often given opportunities to preach the gospel in very challenging times. And I would say this is where Peter is. (laughs) This is the message (coughs) that Peter is giving his readers over the next couple of weeks. We'll see this over the next couple of weeks. Peter is giving the church the real-life images 
of when life is difficult, when life is challenging, when circumstances don't always go your way, the way that you respond will in fact honor or dishonor the name of the Lord. And really, we are called to respond as difficult as it may seem or be, we are called to respond consistently in all of those circumstances. Last week it was governing authority, especially when met in the face of justice, of injustice. This week is no different. Here we discuss the relationship between a slave and a master. Now, since we will likely never be met with enslavement, what I want to do today is I want to give you uh, one overarching point, and then I'm going to try to s tell you how I think um, this, uh, these verses apply to our lives today. And the, the, the main point that I want to give you is this. It is the Christian duty to be subject to worldly authority. It is the Christian duty to be subject to worldly authority. And that is almost without caveat. That is almost without any sort of um, but this or but that. Okay, It is the Christian duty to be subject to worldly authority. We'll see this over and over again over the next few weeks. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Servants, be subjects to your masters with all respect. The, world, the word servant is aptly used here because it is not the word typically used for slave, which means doulos, um, but it, it's actually the word oikete. Uh, but in the ancient world... These words would have had the same meaning, um, and so they would have been used, or similar meaning, they would have been used interchangeably. So Peter here is basically saying, servant or slave, submit to your masters. Now, I'm not going to back away from this. I think that there is a way to explain this, and I think this is what Peter is doing, that is not promoting the idea of slavery, but is actually promoting the idea of a Christian response a Christian behavior regardless of circumstances. I'm going to tell you that I agree with what Peter is saying here. I agree that if someone finds themselves in servitude, that as much as it is possible that they should submit to that servitude. In no way is Peter trying to justify slavery. The use of force uh, on an innocent person or kidnapping or forced labor is not only wrong uh, because it, we feel it in our bones, but it's wrong because the Bible says so. The Bible speaks out against it. Without a doubt, the Chattel-type slavery in the United States in the 19th century is one of the worst atrocities that has ever happened to this country or to this world. I said it last week. Uh, it's a looming black eye on what has been 200 plus years of a pretty great country. Uh, I've also done a sermon on this that heavily involved an explanation of slavery. Uh, if you want to uh, go back and look at that, I can help you find that. However, that type of slavery that you know we are more common with, uh, we are more common. Uh, we have a more common understanding of, uh, and that forced servitude was not the type of slavery that Peter is acknowledging now. As a matter of fact, uh, the type of servanthood that Peter is acknowledging is one of the most common forms 
of commerce. It's one of the most common forms of work in the ancient times. While there is no equal institution in our country today, it was as common as the employer and employee relationship and is actually very similar with uh, one major caveat, and that would be that uh, if you sold yourself into slavery or if you were born into slavery or you were taken into slavery, it was forced labor, okay? I'm, I'm not going to try to make you believe that working at McDonald's is the same thing as slavery, um, but I mean, if you've ever worked at McDonald's, you might feel that way, so I, I don't know. But um, so this, there, this was not, again, just a reminder, this was not the same type of slavery that we are more commonly, we more commonly understand as slavery. It was uh, very different. Well, now, while the mistreatment of slaves or servants <coughs> was a thing, it was heavily guarded against. History tells us that the Roman government had extensive laws on the mistreatment of slavery. And as opposed to how it was treated in the United States and other parts of the world in the, uh, the 19th century, how it became to be, and how it still is in some parts of the world, um, a slave or a servant was not considered as much a part of the property of the person, but they were extended members of the household. They were not uh, prisoners in chains or property, but more uh, of extended members of the household. They had opportunities often to buy their freedom back even. Now, while they had very difficult, uh, they had a def very difficult road at this. Uh, they were definitely disadvantaged. They had the opportunity to buy their freedom. The servants were often, and you might not know this, but the servants were often trained managers. They were leaders such as doctors and nurses and teachers and musicians and skilled artisans. Uh, now, this type of servant relationship uh, would likely be better really even, again, I'm not trying to say working at McDonald's is the same thing as being a slave, but uh, it would have likely been better than some of the low-wage situations we find ourselves in today. Um, the, in that culture, there would have been food and clothing and lodging and even times uh, compensation. Um, so I say I'll say this. Peter is not supporting or promoting slavery here, especially as we have come to know it. Instead, he is teaching his brothers and sisters in Christ who are already in precarious and terrible situations as he is writing this <coughs> excuse me <coughs> as he is writing this letter how to glorify God and to show grace to others in their difficult circumstances in the bad times of life it kind of proves a point to me and that is the bible is not a social justice book the writers don't teach us how to fight the system, but instead, the writers teach us how to glorify God in spite of the system. The writers teach us how to glorify God in any system. And, and the Bible never tries to um, create a utopia of just systems and organizations. The Bible tries to tell us that Christ can be glorified and true freedom can be found even in chains when we learn this. Some of the worst systems we can think of is a corrupt government that harms its citizens or an abusive master who harms the one he leads over. But Peter is saying, regardless of those circumstances, Christ can still be honored. Your mind can be free. These people who have control over your body do not have control over your soul. 
Do not have control over your general peace and disposition, which is what matters the most if we're going to live lives for Christ. I want to give you two thoughts about what Peter is saying as it pertains to being subject to worldly authority. And the first is this. Fear of the Lord will produce respect for authority. Fear of the Lord will produce respect for authority. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Peter says that for a believer, there are no objections to this rule as it pertains to showing grace to those in authority over us. And he really drives that home by saying, slave, be subject to your master. If an evil and corrupt government is wrong, it makes a good point when uh, Peter makes a good point when he says, be subject to that government. But he doubles down here and he says, listen, even slaves are to be subjects, subject to their masters. The point he is not proving is to approve slavery, but he's saying this is a dire and terrible circumstance that you will or are currently finding yourself in, and you must still honor the Lord even in that circumstance. Jesus nor Peter came into the world to elicit social change. They came to elicit heart change. It would be a heart change that would change the evil schemes of the corrupt government. It would be a heart change that would stop the abusive hand of the master. Putting systems in place that benefit a certain person over another person or a certain type of person over another person cannot change the heart. And it only changes the geographical or socioeconomic location of the person. It does not change the essence or the roots of their problems. So instead of saying, servants, slaves, fight the power, Peter says, there is no greater freedom than the freedom in Christ and living in him, and it is even greater than the freedom that you would feel from being, from that you would feel from being loosed from your chains. Friends, Christ is not bound. He is not bound by your circumstances. He is not bound by what you are facing at any moment of any day. There is freedom in Christ. But oftentimes, freedom in Christ comes in servitude. Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, there are two ways to look at what respect means here, and I think both are correct. One way is to say... I need to respect the master for what he can do for me. He can punish me. Uh, he can bless me. He can curse me. He can, uh, he can kill me. I need to make sure I'm doing what I can to stay on his good side and do what's right. But another more important way of looking at this is that with all respect means that I know that my response to my enslavement will directly honor or dishonor the name of Jesus in my life. And because I know that God truly holds the chains that bind and he can loosen them, then I will trust and fear him regardless of my circumstances. If God is on my side, whom then shall I fear? 
All respect means that I'm going to trust the Lord with my terrible circumstances. I'm going to give the mistreatment by government authorities. I'm going to give the mistreatment by those other worldly authorities over to the Lord. And I think we do that for two main reasons. We submit when God says to submit regardless of the circumstances because our spiritual freedom is at stake. People can become free from certain bondage but still remain in change. Chains, just because we break free from difficult situations doesn't mean we experience true freedom. How many people have you known that have gone from the bondage of poverty to the freedom, quote unquote, of wealth or comfort and still been discontent, still been unhappy, still been searching? How many people do you know who have gone from the bondage of a a difficult marriage to the freedom of single life or the freedom of another marriage and have still had trouble, have still been discontent, have still been in bondage? Our freedom is at stake, friends, as it pertains to our obedience to the command of God to obey the authorities that have been placed over us. Our spiritual freedom is at stake. So in all situations and for our spiritual health, we need to make sure that we exhaust every ounce of surrender to the commands of the Lord before we give in to what our heart says. We need to exhaust every ounce of surrender because our freedom is at stake. But also the spiritual life of the one who sees me is at stake. The gospel is not individualist or for the proud. The gospel is not for the vengeful or the spiteful. The gospel is for the surrendered. It's for the obedient. Now make sure you are trying to apply this to yourselves now and over the next few weeks. But if I get my individual rights here and I lose my witness there, or if I get my vengeance here and I'm a stumbling block there, what have I actually won? What have I won? So Peter says, the fear of the Lord and the fear of dishonoring his name causes me to respect those whom he has placed in authority over me. My spiritual life, my spiritual peace, my spiritual freedom is at stake and also the spiritual freedom of of others is at stake in how I respond to God's calling to be obedient to spiritual authorities. As a matter of fact, uh, it's in an interesting turn of events in the Bible. The Lord says to to a wife who is a believer, who has an unbelieving husband, that she is to persist with him, that she is to continue to follow the Lord in the sense that, or in the hope that he will be converted to faith. Our submission goes far beyond our willingness to stay in our certain circumstances. Our freedom is at stake, friends. Our spiritual freedom is at stake, but also the spiritual freedom of others. Fear of the Lord will produce the respect for authority. There's another truth that Peter says that is so counter to the culture that it sounds crazy to say out loud, but you know what? I've never been one that's been completely sane, so I'll say it. Fear of the Lord will return grace to ungracious authority. And here's where it gets wild. 
We live in a culture that attacks and annihilates on command. If you make a mistake, you better hope it isn't public enough because you may never come back from it. Or you better hope it can't be found out because you may better never you may you may never come back for, from it. If a leader is bad to you, you attack them. If a spouse is bad to you, you divorce them. If a friend does you wrong, you write them out, write them off. And certainly, if you are marginalized or taken advantage of, certainly the appropriate response would be to fight. And Peter says here, and it's so crazy, but if we applied it to our lives, we would be filled with this general and lasting peace that we could not really explain it, uh, maybe it passes all understanding, he says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter says it is a gracious thing when you are wronged, even deeply, that you don't fight back or respond with more wrong, but that you endure. Now, he isn't saying that there aren't times to fight. I feel like I need to say this over and over again, maybe as an explanation while I why, as to why I fight so much, but he is saying that every injustice is not a time to fight. As a matter of fact, most injustice should be met with grace first, and we should exhaust grace before we move on to the next steps. He says, what a gracious thing when we are mindful of God. Mindful here means a consciousness of the will of God, a continual ingrained and a habitual reference to what God is doing in your life and others. And this mindfulness of God's will goes far and above the mindfulness of our own circumstances, which I, what I would say for me and maybe for you is often not the case. Oftentimes, I'm more mindful of my circumstances and how they affect me than I am of the God who reigns over my circumstances. Peter says, the heart of the one that has the will of God in mind will endure suffering and mistreatment with grace, and it will in turn be accounted to him as a gracious thing in the sight of God. Friends, can I tell you, we do, we do more good in the world with our fists down than up. And we receive more honor in the sight of God if they never come up at all. So we should do everything that we can to make sure that the fight never has to happen. It requires humility. It requires surrender to the will of the Lord. It requires grace. And sometimes it requires the willingness to be wronged for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, there are times where we defend ourselves. There are times where we stand our ground. But that isn't the motto of the person saved by grace. As Christians, we should have a continual mental attitude and acceptance of the legal and economic authority over us and be willing to give obedience to their directives. Why? Because we have the will of God in mind and the grace of Christ in our hearts. On a side note, he said it's no credit for you to endure if you're being punished for wrongdoing. If someone murders someone, they should expect jail time and some just punishment. But that is just punishment, and it's little credit to them to endure. If someone, 
uh, serves their punishment for a crime that they committed, that's called justice. It serves very little effect for them. Now, they can serve well, and they can serve as unto the Lord, and it can be a gracious thing for them. But what he's really saying is, it matters most when you are suffering for things that you don't actually do. It matters most when you are suffering for causes or for, or for reasons that you did not bring upon yourself. Peter here is preparing all of his readers for situations where rescue is not an option, but glorifying God is. Now, we don't understand this very well because we don't always find ourselves in situations where rescue is not an option, but glorifying God must be. So you're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to work really hard to apply your to apply your practical application to this point as it applies to your life. We must know that what we do in those situations where rescue is not an option, but glorifying God is, obviously has to have the will of God, the will of the Lord in mind. What a credit is. What a credit it is to you when you endure, when you endure things that you did not bring upon yourself, when you suffer for things that you do not bring upon yourself, and you endure them in a mindful way that honors the Lord. I want to close with this. This is how... I'm going to give you three things that, that I believe is how this applies to modern life. You will likely never be a, a slave or a servant, right? It doesn't really happen in our country. Now, there are Christians who are being kidnapped and sold into slavery all the time. All the time, especially in uh, it's happening, and I'm not just being sort of... Uh, prejudiced or whatever, but it's happening in predominantly Muslim countries every day. Every day, Christians are being pulled out of churches and murdered or sold into slavery or whatever. But it's likely not our lot. So how does it apply to our life? I think that this verse most um, specifically describes the employee and employer relationship. I think it does. As a matter of fact, I bet there's more in common between a servant and an employee-employer relationship than, than not. And so I sort of went with, I didn't sort of, I went with that as it pertained to the themes or the application of these verses today. So the first is this. We honor God and display grace to unjust leaders by keeping jobs more than leaving them. This relationship that Peter describes in our text is most like the relationship of a boss and an employee. Um, have you ever considered this? Now, some of you don't need to hear this. Some of you might have even stayed at a job too long, okay? Uh, I'm not, I'm, this, is, this message is not for everybody. Uh, it's predominantly, it's for everybody, but it's predominantly for those uh, who have very difficult time handling criticism or difficulty, and their propensity, their desire is to jump, okay, to jump. Have you ever considered 
that your difficult job situation may not be about you at all? Have you ever considered that your unjust or difficult boss may be one to Christ because you endure and you show grace in the sight of unjust or um, mistreatment, unjust behavior or mistreatment? Have you ever considered that? I bet not. I bet probably when you're going through unjust or difficult time, unjust or mistreatment or difficult times in your job, I bet you have likely considered how difficult it is for you. Now, we are people of grace. We are people of blessing and peace. So we understand that we have been given so many blessings and oftentimes we have it better than other people. But in those difficult circumstances, many times we probably think only of how the difficulty affects us. I wonder if you've ever considered that maybe, maybe the way you respond to difficulty or a difficult person may lead someone, that person even, to Christ. It's not a foreign idea. It's not a foreign example. We learned just a few weeks ago that our behavior may lead someone to glorify God on the day of visitation. Why then would it be so foreign to us for us to believe that when we are met with great trial, great adversity, even evil, that if we meet that with good, that it might cause such a radical thought change in someone's life that they surrender to the will of the Lord. I think not only in difficult work circumstances, but I think in difficult circumstances of life, we should be willing to endure more than quit. Because we never know what our endurance in the face of difficulty might lead to in the lives of those who are observing our lives. We honor God and display grace to unjust leaders by keeping jobs more than leaving them. Another way I've seen to apply this, and I hope this, hope that first one was good for you, and maybe this one will be too. We honor God and display grace to unjust leaders by working hard in spite of their rewards or behavior. Friends, we are to work as unto the Lord in whatever we do. The Bible says, and whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it as unto the Lord. So in the most remedial and menial task of life, we are called to do it as unto the Lord. The most routine things of life, we are called to do as unto the Lord. And so that must mean that in the difficult times, that must mean in the everyday task of life, that we are also called to do it as unto the Lord. And when our work is more heavily influenced by reward or lack thereof, when our work is more heavily influenced by mistreatment or good treatment, then our mindset and our effort is on what our boss has said or done than what the Lord has already spoken. This is not being mindful of the will of God. 
Being mindful of the will of God is to work in circumstances that are difficult in spite of the circumstances. Being mindful of the will of God is to work for a boss that you don't like, there maybe hate, that you can't stand in spite of the way he behaves towards you. This one has been very challenging for me. It's probably why I don't hold a salary job uh, other than this church because I am, I, the Lord has allowed me to be submissive to the leadership of this church like you are. It's probably why I don't hold an hourly job or a salary job. So it might be easier for me to speak um, on this than you because the only person I have to be mad at on Monday is me. So um, it, it works out well. I don't feel, I, I do sort of in my life feel like respect is earned. Um, but at a certain level, that's really not a Christian concept. I do think it would be best to earn respect. I, but it would be best to earn others' respect. But it's not a Christian concept as it pertains to our response to others. We don't wait for respect to be given to give respect. We give respect in spite of the amount of respect that we are given. We honor God and we display grace to unjust leaders by working hard in spite of their rewards or behavior, their rewards or behavior towards us. We honor God, thirdly, we honor God and display grace to unjust leaders by being mindful of the will of the Lord in all circumstances. Christians are not called to be punching bags. But that doesn't mean that we won't take some punches. We're not called to be punching bags, but that doesn't mean we don't take some punches. After all, our directive as it pertains to uh, unjust human interaction is what Peter says in 1 Peter, but it's also what we see in Matthew. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We honor God and display grace and unjust, to unjust leaders by being mindful of the will of the Lord. And the will of the Lord is that we should surrender to him in all things. And part of that surrender is to surrender to the authority that he has placed over us. Regardless of circumstances... There are going to be plenty of times to fight moving forward. There are going to be plenty of times to fight. But as Christians, I believe we should do our best to exhaust every measure of grace before we pick up our weapons. I can promise you <coughs> I am preaching as if there is a mirror in front of me instead of you. So we ask ourselves, am I working as unto the Lord? Am I working as unto the Lord? Am I giving my best effort as if the Lord is sitting next to me and I'm about to present this gift of work to him? 
Am I working as unto the Lord? Would my boss be surprised to find out that I was a Christian? Would my boss be surprised to find out that I was a Christian? Is it something I'm known by at work? Would my behavior lead those in authority over me to think that I was just another typical Christian? With air quotes. Just another one of those hypocritical, typical Christians who say one thing and do another. Another thing we ask ourselves, is my behavior working to win the heart of the unjust authority in my life? The gospel is not for the proud. This is why the Bible says that the Lord opposes the proud. Because in our pride... When we think we're too good, when we think we don't deserve something, in our pride, we can never stoop. This is probably not the proper terminology. Someone can correct me later. We can never stoop to the level necessary to obey certain aspects of what God has called us to do. It's not that pride is just wrong. It's that pride is an impediment from following what God commands. Am I being mindful of what God is doing around me as more than just the circumstances of life? Slavery is wrong, obviously. Shouldn't shouldn't have to be said, doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it just in case. But would it have been better for Peter here to be like, well... You know, you shouldn't be in this circumstance. You shouldn't be in this situation. You should be free, which is probably true. Or would it have been better for Peter? Was it more helpful? Was it more practical for him to say, you are responsible for how you act in every circumstance of your life, no matter how easy or difficult? We're responsible to the Lord. There's going to be some difficult ones coming up even. I mean, probably not more difficult than slavery, but husbands and the interaction of husband and wives. That's another one. And uh, I don't know that I ever have, but I'm not going to step around that to try to make you feel better about your disobedience, wives. Just kidding. Just kidding. I learned my uh, sermon on wives from my dad. My dad, he has one sermon and it's on women, so um, I learned that from him. We are responsible for the actions that we take, regardless of the circumstances. So let's do our best to exhaust grace, to just exhaust every measure of grace and trust the Lord who has control over death and life. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have interactions with your boss that are not holy. You're going to have interactions with other people, government leaders, whether it's on social media or maybe in person. They're not holy. They're not kind. They're not good. They're not gracious. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't exhaust every measure of grace that we can in every opportunity that we have. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. We trust you. We thank you for loving us, for saving us. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't give up on us when we were at enmity with you, when we were 
strangers and far off and aliens and uh, we were warring against you with Satan. Uh, We thank you that you didn't give up on us, that you saved us, that you made us new, that your grace is deep and abounding for us. We thank you that it never goes away, that it always endures and ultimately is about your plan. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for today. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.